views and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not reflect the views or endorsement of any entity. Nothing being said on this podcast should be considered as investment advice. Derek is affiliated with Collab Plus Currency and may hold positions in assets discussed in this episode. Always conduct your own research and consult with a financial advisor before making any investment decisions. Gentlemen, welcome to New York. Welcome to another live 100 Proof. We're back in the mix. Let's go. Yes, let's go. How are you guys doing? I got my my buddy Eli here. I got my co-host Kevin here. I think this is going to be a good episode and excited to get going with you guys. Yeah, welcome everyone. Yeah, welcome. There we go. You know, this, this feels like a more intimate gathering than last time around. <laughs> last time was Definitely. chaos. We were in the middle of this crazy, like, just, you know, week over week, month over month, crazy rise in NFTs. And, you know, this time around, it's like a lot more intimate, smaller connections. Like, and it, it kind of brings out the true believers, which I think is awesome. Like, yeah. I don't know that we can go much further down from here. So I think we're in a good place. <laughs> like. True. It's true. It feels like a good place to build and to go heads down. So a lot of the entrepreneurs that I've met this week, um, they're just like so focused on product, which is great. Like the best products get built, not during the hype cycles because it's so distracting with everything going on, but during these like moments of like, okay, let's get back to business. Let's focus. Let's go heads down. And so, you know, that's what we're doing at Proof, but uh, it's good. Speaking of Eli, you had a pretty awesome exhibition with Venus this week. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, a ton of people came out for it. Tell us a little bit about what happened. Yeah, I mean, I think many of you guys were probably there. Uh, but again, like that was a space where we had a bunch of artists. We had that exhibition, IRL, at Venus Over Manhattan. And to your point, Kevin, like it, that was a scaled down and sort of right-sized version of an event relative to last year. And that sort of felt right for this year. Um, but to just have so many great artists in that space, collectors, traditional art collectors, Adam Lindemann and his, and his folks there, um, I hope you all enjoyed that space. And as a contrast to people last night, which is like the crazy shit. I was going to say, that, Kevin's been talking about yeah. small, intimate gatherings. Yeah, that but was last sort of night the, was uh, a barn burner. I think both of them were pretty hardcore because <laughs> we went to Venus over Manhattan. It, I it got packed. Like I was like really hot. And it got hot. Way too hot. Yeah. Way so too hot. apologies for people in the, with the heat side of things. But it was, it was a good gathering. It was yeah. nice to see people come out. Um, but yeah, the people thing was just Walk insane. us through it. Like uh, walk through the intent of what was supposed to happen with people last night. Tell us a little bit about what actually happened, like, I guess, give people a taste of uh, the whole night. <laughs> so I, I think the, the cool thing about Mike is, is once you get to, to know him on a personal level, you realize that he is just this insane creative. And you can always tell he does this thing uh, when you hang out with him where he just starts walking around the room and kind of pacing the room. Mm-hmm. And I know good ideas are coming when that's happening. Because then he just starts spitballing, like, okay, we're going to do this, we're going to yeah. do this. And like, tapped in. It, it's just, he's yeah. tapped in, right? And so, um, you know, when we had talked about doing the, the actual conference, and they were like, oh, now's not the right time to do a conference, given the market, all that. We made, obviously, the pivot to not do it. He was still on board. He's like, let's do something together. Let's do something where we can get an audience together. And so it made sense to say, hey, we're going to be out in New York. Let's, like, do it live every day. And then also make it a minting experience where there'll be 10 people in the audience that win. Yes. And then 90 of them go back to the Diamond Exhibition, which is coming up here next week. And so it was just, um, it was meant to be chaotic. And he was like, you know, I want this to be just this like 
crazy tapestry of whatever people yell out along with my own little creative flair to it. Totally. And he was doing crazy things where people were yelling at projects and he's like signing them in there <laughs> yes. on the actual piece as it's happening, like leading up to the 30 seconds before. I don't know how he did it, but he exported it and tweeted it all Three within the last ago. 10 seconds. Yeah, I know. Incredible. It was incredible. It was, it was nuts. Yeah, no, it was wild. Uh, from your perspective, you guys were in the trenches with people. Uh, we brought Snowfro in there. Uh, I mean, it was sort of started a little stilted. It's like you guys are asking him questions. You can tell he just wants to get into it. Like yes. he just wants to start creating. He was ready to go. It was not chaotic enough for yes. him to start. No, it's true. He needs uh, he needs chaos to operate. And yeah. like, um, you could tell he really found his groove when like just it started getting loud. The music got yes. turned up. People started yelling shit at him. Every, there was no crazy idea, and so like he just acts as the great filter and just like throw it at him, and he will figure it out. And it was really, really fun to just watch it, him work. The the end result is pretty wild. The end result was <laughs> that's pretty a, wild. a memorable every day. Yeah, I've no, them, it, yeah. it was great. And then as you mentioned, snow came in at one point, and um, it was fun. It was really fun to be in the pit there while he was working, and his brother Scott was next to him, and yeah. snow was in there enjoying himself it was a, it was a really fun you know it's funny the collector redbeard came up to me and he said hey snow's like he's trying to keep a low profile he's hanging out in the back <laughs> we've got to get kevin to get on the mic and say snow get in here it's like the last thing eric wants to do totally. oh, but ultimately yeah. also wants to do yeah uh, so we got him in there yeah it was it was cool that the audience had already yelled out that they wanted to see a chromie squiggle in the piece so when he walked in he like sees his art right that up, must be right the coolest top, thing top yeah. of the composition and then, of awesome. course you're like all decked out like i was the biggest fanboy ever yeah <laughs> that was amazing no, Eric's used to me at this point, showing up to all of his <laughs> events just wearing squiggles. So um, it was a blast. It was super fun. Uh, You've been busy, though. What was I've your week like, though? Like, give us a quick little... Yeah, so I've been out here since Friday taking meetings. Uh, I mean, many of you already know this. So I run a venture shop called Collab Currency. Um, the first couple of days, we actually had a... Um, my partner, Steve, and I, we flew out our entire team. Actually, many of them are here right now. Uh, shout out. I think I saw Zach back here at one point. Uh, we had a, a team of our 10 people come out here and we did a two-day retreat where we just walked through the state of the market, walked through all of our portfolio companies, how we could be working with them better, uh, strategized for this next cycle, and then we capped it off with a party um, on uh, Tuesday night with, with uh, I think, 300 people ended up coming into this small Irish bar uh, down at the Bowery. So it was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, I've been meeting with founders, meeting with artists, meeting with projects, meeting with um, co-investors, and just uh, just getting a, a, a better uh, line on, on things that are happening within our space. So I know when you do this, when you get a chance to sit down with entrepreneurs, like they're at the, the forefront of this, right? Yes. As, as, as investors, yes. you're totally. the coach on the sidelines, like cheering on the, the team, right? Yes. So you're, you're getting the data from them in real time. What trends are you seeing emerge? What are people most bullish about right now in Web3? Anything new and exciting to, to chat about there? Yeah, so broadly... Um, I work with over 100 companies, uh, and I work with them at the earliest stages. So to your point, I'm usually seeing these things happen very early in advance, these, like, these grand trend lines that are kind of surfacing because we're finding the smartest people in our space to work on really difficult problems that haven't been solved yet. Um, so I would say, uh, you know, in terms of just like if I was going to lump it all together, I would say the things that I am seeing right now at the ground floor is this sophistication around products and services that lean into Web3 and the design space of Web3 in, thing, in, in ways that just we didn't see before. Uh, and so things that you can comp to 
you know, how Web2 software companies have generated revenue over the last few decades, I think we're going to see a massive sophistication around Web3 businesses that do the same thing all across the stack. Mm. And uh, I've never been more excited to be in this space. I know you said it's been a little bit quieter this year. It's my favorite time uh, of these yeah. cycles is, is right now when, you know, things are starting to become a little bit more emergent. Um, and so I'm very bullish. Yeah. I, I had uh, I was fortunate enough when we sat down with a, a reporter from the New York Times mm-hmm. um, here a couple of days ago, and like they, they were asking about these cycles, and, and and nothing about this shocks me in that crypto has always been this like cyclical thing that you know we hope that the next step up is always higher than the previous mm-hmm. one, and so we're just in one of those those markets. And uh, although I will say in seeing kind of what's been happening lately with Bitcoin and Ethereum, it's like I feel, and this isn't like, I don't know how much correlation there is here, but like when you see that step up in price, mm. people feel a little bit more flush with cash, and then that seems to like trickle down into NFTs as well. Yes. Um, so, yeah. No, we see, we've seen this since 2010. It's just mm. that this is uh, typically what happens with these cycles, uh, largely with things like Bitcoin and, and Ethereum. As the price goes up, uh, public interest in the technology grows. People start to learn to understand what the value props are. That brings more builders into the space. That brings more folks into the space. And then during these you know, downturns, I would say a handful of people stick around. And on and on and on we go over the decade. Uh, years go by where more and more people come in. A few people leave, but then more and more people come in. Yeah. Uh, and with NFTs and kind of the rise of NFTs and digital objects in 2020, we saw maybe the most uh, interest in kind of this technology that we've ever mm-hmm. seen. And a lot of people stuck around. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm very excited for this next run. Yeah, just, just quickly, are you guys, uh, given the market, are you guys collecting? Are you buying, selling, just sort of holding pat? I'd be curious. You guys are both great collectors. You go first. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's just been diamond nest all the time <laughs> yeah. for the last, like, you know, month. So that's why Justin isn't here. Like, he is heads down working on this. And, I mean, you know how hard you've been yeah. working on this. You're the person that's probably worked the most <laughs> no. on this. Um, so it's been it's been a lot of that. So for mm-hmm. me, I rely on this guy to be like, hey, uh, DGB is great. Like you should check him out. And like I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm in. And so like I, I need a little bit of coaching. So I haven't had a lot of time to go in and dig in on the collecting front. But it's certainly something that like you know after post hack when I had that, mm. you know I, I immediately went right back in and picked up some squiggles. Yeah. Like there are certain blue chip projects yeah. that I would not you know, live without and, and it didn't, no matter what's going on. So I had to d- immediately dip back in and reprioritize and move around assets and, yeah. you know, rebalance. But, um, yeah, I think now is a, actually a great time to go and hopefully find some right price things. Yeah. Somebody was pointing out the other day, I think it was Sam actually, that was Sam's here too. NFT stats. He's somewhere around here. He did a tweet about, um, uh, Fidenzas and them just being like, like almost like half off or something like that, and be like, "Remember when all of you wished they were half off? Well, mm. guess what? They're half off right now." Like, yeah, the, tr- the trouble is, we're all half poor. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you can get, yeah, you can get a Fidenza for fifty, yes. fifty-five. Yeah. Yes. No, it's true. Um, I, I'm gonna preach to the choir here, and you guys already know this about me, but there are a number of objects and collections in our space that, in my view, will we'll still be talking about our kids kids will be talking about um and yes they get lost in the shuffle and the noise of especially as these these periods of of um the economy kind of rise and swell and then consolidate these things can kind of be collateral damage for those narratives but in my view like 
the history books, the, the way we speak about some of the, these pioneer collections will continue to resurface over and over and over again as decades go on. Yeah. And so if you believe that, I do, then these periods of dislocation actually offer an amazing opportunity to, you know, find some of them. I actually did pick up a Beeple yesterday. Oh, you I did? Say, yeah. You I, haven't, did. I haven't posted about it yet, but I did pick up Beeple. It's I, awesome. I, had, I, I hadn't owned a Beeple, and, like, I've, I've known him now for quite some time, and, like, just I, I see the collectors that are, that are going in, and it's interesting because you go to some of these um, – little more intimate gatherings where, um, you know, we're lucky enough to get invited to some of these kind of like more smaller things. And I see the traditional art world having a lot of interest in people. Mm. And it's like, it's these big traditional collectors that have, you know, all of the household, you know, I don't want to say trad art names because people get pissed when you say trad art, but like, you know, the the traditional artists that that we all know and and they hold their first NFT as a people. Yeah. And so I'm like, wow, he's really starting to cross that chasm in a very serious way. And so, you know, it's, it's definitely a, a very important blue chip piece um, if, if you can get one. So, yeah. What about you, Eli? What are you doing right now, man? I know oh, you're working man. hard. I'm just working. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All I do is, is work. There's, there's no collecting these days. Yeah. Also, there's, there's like some version of conflict of interest when we start to do these things. If I know who the artists are in the Diamond Nest exhibition and I'm collecting beforehand, kind of problematic. Well, yeah. we have an internal Slack channel that is, is like our do not trade channel. Yes. Mm. And so our, our, our head legal person posts in there and says, these are the assets you are not allowed to trade right now. And, you know, we don't do that because we're legally required to. We do it because it's the right thing to do. Because are above board. And, yeah, exactly. That's so, awesome. So we always have that list to yeah. refer back to. Yeah. Should we, uh, should we get Chris up here? Let's do it. Where's he at? Chris from Transient Labs. You, uh, you back here? There, there he is. is. Let's go. There he is. Let's give a round Welcome. of applause for Let's Chris. Let's go. Nice to meet you. How you All doing, right. my friend? I'm good. Thanks we, for having uh, me. We've got, you, we've got a lot to talk to you about. Um, ready. I would say maybe we set the table here and we just talk about Transient Labs. And your name has been popping up everywhere. Uh, it's been popping up in collaboration with amazing folks like Proof. You guys have so many projects you guys are working on together. It's been popping up with artists. Uh, It's been popping up behind the scenes. Um, I guess like where (laughs) it's popping up right now. This is, you know, a space in part uh, powered by Transient. Here we are. Um, What is Transient Labs? Wow. Good. Um, Thank you for, well, first, thanks for having us. Um, We're humbled, um, honored. Like, yeah, we're all stoked to be sitting here in front of you. Uh, Co-founders are sitting right behind you. By the way, the, the Giga Brains. That's the magic. Marco and Ben. I, I don't know what I'm doing up here, honestly. <laughs> Pretty um, face. But so, um, so, so Transient Labs is actually a, uh, a company that was really built to leverage the power of the blockchain as a paintbrush and not a system of record. So if it's a creative tool, like what else can we do here? So uh, Ben and Marco are former aerospace engineers, so like rockets, actual rocket scientists. Um, and so uh, we're building a, uh, a Web3 infrastructure and innovation platform. So on one side, we work with incredible creators like you see on these screens. Some of them are right over there. You'll hear from them in a minute. Um, platforms, we're doing stuff with maybe you. <laughs> um, we built like the Rare Pass. If you, anybody, anybody a Rare Pass person? Okay, cool. Yeah, so we did that whole thing kind of end to end. We do one-on-one stuff, dynamic and interactive art. 
Um, but on the other side, we're building a really interesting stack of tools that are very, very focused on innovation in this space. So <laughs> I, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but it's, you know, people say like, oh, you guys are like manifold. Well, yeah, if you like took the limitless pill and <laughs> that's our stuff. And so that's what I've been using as kind of our uh, yes. product description. So check, it's over here if anybody wants to talk about it. So. But thanks for having us. Yeah, I feel like, <clears throat> sorry, what Manifold is, is, is so good at doing this kind of contracts that can be used by so many so quickly. Yep. And I think of you all as like this bespoke shop that comes in and does the impossible, which is like really fun because you can just... You, when we've talked about ideas in the past, it's like nothing's off the table, which is which has got to be a fun place to operate from. Well, for me and you, but for Ben and Marco, they're like, oh, here we go. These guys and their ideas. Um, true. Um, we love what Manifold has done, particularly for like sovereignty and giving yeah. artists that ownership. Um, but we're really focused on like for those creators. Anyone who says like, all right, what's next? What? Like, how do I push the next boundary or take the next step or break some rule or, you know, that is who we look for. And so uh, I think the, that, that's an appropriate way to, uh, nothing's off the table. So if anybody has a wild idea and you want to pitch us on it, let, let's talk. We're, we'll be here all day. Yeah, and I'll transition over to Eli because Eli has been working really closely with you. But I would say the feedback that I get from artists is that they often have these grand ideas that they want to pair conceptually with the way that they produce work. And they're limited in their ability and their scope to like execute on those yeah, ideas. And then they come across you guys, the three of you, and the team that you've built out, and they're like, oh my god, like, I can actually start to envision a world where the work that I want to create technically can come into existence because I can work with this great group, Transient. Yeah. And I think the hard part, and for those of us who have built like software companies is how do you productize that? How do you build that into tooling? Um, it's hard. And so, but we like hard, difficult yeah. things. And so I think if we can do that, we'll continue to perform incredible services work and build interesting stuff. But I think to your point, it's like, what's impossible at scale? Like, what's, what's Bespoke at scale look like? And that's yeah. kind of where we want to get to from a... All right, Eli. Yeah. Uh, Eli and you guys, you guys have been in the workshop plotting. So what's, what's going on, Eli? Yeah, so this has been fun. I mean, Chris, uh, I feel like our relationship over the course of the last couple of days even has really evolved. I'm getting late we night texts from Chris we now. We close last night. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it, no, it's been a lot of fun to, to partner on Outliers and get to know each other. Just quickly before we dive really deep on Outliers for a moment... Chris, what's an, an example or two maybe of some of these wild things that you guys have executed to give people something a bit more concrete to, to wrap their head around? Ben, Marco, what do we want to highlight? Like what's the, what's... Drip drop, and I'll talk about Thank You X too. Uh, yeah, yeah th shattered it, yeah. State of the art, does anybody know State of the art? Thank, the you, thank X. you X project. Yes, Thank You X. So he... Um, Thank you, X came to us, and he had this incredible physical artwork. He rented a warehouse for months, and <clears throat> he painted these four, uh, I think they're 16 feet by 20 foot canvases. Huge. Four of them. Um, and he said, 
I want to do something cool with the digital side of this. I don't know what that looks like yet. So uh, the idea that we came up with was to build a computational vision algorithm that like looked at each of the canvases. Then it sliced all the canvases up into rectangles digitally. Um, and then we ran another, we have a, actually wrote this into a product now called, called Kaleidoscope that actually analyzes color distribution and you, you could do color based rarity. <laughs> I mean, this is too nerdy and silly but. Um, so we wrote this thing that analyzed all of these squares. So people minted randomly a rectangle in this huge fabric of all, the, all these different pieces. And so um, the, the functionality we built was we came back to, to thank you X and said hey you know what we should do? Do this, this mint and merge thing where you, you could mint something but then you could acquire pieces around yours and then blend them together on chain and then <laughs> hand, hand thank you X the information necessary to actually laser cut these canvases up and then ship them to consumers absent of sharing any of their personal data. So yeah. um, a bunch of you know, very specific Web3 things there, but I hope that's, that's one. That was no, that's fun. a great example. I mean, you guys are just such uh, creative problem solvers, like in our, whether it's a DM thread with an artist, we've got one back there, D, uh, DGB, that piece floor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, that's a good <laughs> example where, um, if you guys can see it uh, just behind you there. Uh, First one on the left. Yeah, so those are SVG frames, is that right? And, and they're updating to show the floor piece from each of those collections every hour, I think. Correct. Which is super cool. Grab a slug from a collection, as a, if you own the piece. So, great, you have your infinite objects, but like, what if you bought a thing like that, <clears throat> that the frames inside the art are programmable? And so you grab a slug from any collection, drop that in, and it grabs the floor piece from that collection at that moment in time, and it's just on your wall all the time. Yeah, super cool. Floor monitor. So Chris, you and I, we, we've, as Derek mentioned, been working on outliers together. Indeed. Where did that, I think it was initially sort of something you guys had, had initiated. Where did that come from? What was the initial idea there? Um, and then in terms of, you know, the impact you're hoping to have, and we ultimately are hoping to have, how would you describe that? Um, so just by way of background, like I'm not an aerospace engineer. <laughs> I shop for bad sweaters and uh, am a, like a serial starter, unfortunately. Uh, so this is company number 12 for me. I've done a lot of startups, unfortunately raised a lot of venture money, uh, mostly unsuccessfully. Um, sometimes successfully. Sometimes successfully. Well, now <laughs> we're crushing it. Do you? <laughs> I don't think we disclosed. No, I'm, uh, I'm his lead investor as well, so yeah, we should probably get out of that, that out of the way. Cool. All right, good. Um, and like the best investor I've ever worked with, hands down. You, so if anybody's raising money, that guy is the truth. Um, no, no bullshit. Sorry. Oh, <coughs> you can swear. Um, it's okay. We, I heard we were trying to class it up around here. So that's <laughs> we, we're yeah, drinking on stage. Okay. Yeah, Mal wanted no hats oh, man, at one point, I'm, I'm and that is too. completely out of line. I'm empty. I would. Um, <laughs> yeah, Where's Daniel, the yet. intern? I would love a mimosa. Um, Okay, so outliers. Uh, so in the startup world, like I have been fortunate in that I have participated in very, very early things over and over again, and uh, fortunate also to have been in the TechStars program twice, and I actually went on to run accelerators and the incubator at Target. Um, I built a company on a competition called the Startup Bus, uh, a three-day bus trip to South by Southwest. The company was called Listener. We went on to raise a quarter of a billion dollars. It was a great, great outcome. On a bus. 
And it was a very complicated deck sending an information string through a sound wave. Um, I know what happens when you surround a creator with the right people, the right tools, and information <laughs> and knowledge. And so why would it be any different than just investing what we all, our, our relationship capital, our technology capital, and our network connectivity to help creators go faster and bigger? And so um, we just thought, and let me just caveat this by saying, as I mentioned, we're building this kind of ridiculous tool of innovator uh, tools, or a suite of innovator tools, excuse me. Um, I, we just didn't want to kind of drop a product on the world. Oh, here's our stuff, please buy it. Um, so instead, what we wanted to do was dog food it. Like, let, here, use our stuff, build something incredible, and then hopefully it's amazing and you'll advocate about how great the product was. And so um, all of the creators, we decided to do this program, six weeks. I think it ended up being 20 yeah. creators, and we've even gone out to their platforms that are part of this now, which is insane. Um, I'm gonna run through a six-week program, get education and curriculum, uh, tools and technology, media, the resources of proof, and then, and then people. So we're gonna surround them with people that are gonna help them move forward. So that was kind of like where, how we got here and where we are maybe right now. So. Yeah, what I love about this is it's taking a very tried and true model that we see with startup companies at the earliest stages. Usually it's a team, an idea, maybe some early technology, and some creative direction. Uh, and working with those groups to accelerate them faster so that they can get to market, find product market fit, and start engaging with the larger market in a way that feels conducive to what they're trying to build. And this is the first time I've seen that same approach thanks to the work of you guys, um, apply it to the creative process in Web3, which is really fucking cool. Go ahead. I, you no, know, I was just going to say, and I think also what I think we'll see happen is you guys have your suite of tools that are available to the artists, but ultimately the artists will come with crazy ideas yes. that will inform the things you guys build, we build, 100%. in so doing, right? Which is super fascinating. So where are you on that process now? So the artists, are they, like, are you week one, week two? Like, let people know kind of how this is kicked off. This is it. This is kickoff. Here this we are. This is kickoff. This is it. This is day one right this now. This is day one. Welcome. Uh, it's, um, yes, we, we slid to the right slightly to accommodate um, really making sure the curriculum was compelling. The other thing I wanted to say, though, is that does everybody know the list? Does everybody know the roster? It's an amazing <laughs> roster. You guys... <laughs> Great. Put together an incredible list. So Eli and I are like, they said yes? Uh, wow. Uh, so it, I'm baffled. Can we talk about like, some of the names? You yeah, guys want to name let, some of them? Let's, let's go. Um, well, Terrell. It's right over there. Yes. Mar TJ. Marlo. Yes. Marlo. Um, Xerox. Ayla El Musa. Um, OXDGB. Otherworld, keep going, please. Jake uh, Freed, fellowship, Jake Freed Fellowship Trust, Botto, Botto Ensemble, who just did this dope thing with uh, Def, Def Beef, Beef over there. That's crazy. Um, uh, Patrick Amadon, yeah, Ryan, Ryan Koopmans, yes. I'm gonna forget somebody, and I'm gonna get yelled at on Twitter all the time. Tiffatron, thank you. We should have written a list. It's a great, <laughs> yeah, great <laughs> list. list. Um, but so anyone who I forgot, I apologize. Um, it's I'm nervous. 
but it is really a special group of people, and I cannot, it's really hard to imagine what's mm. gonna fall out of the other end of this thing. Um, I, I think we're gonna see uh, innovations even at the contract level we've yeah. never seen before. So I'm excited. Uh, out of curiosity, when you guys think about putting this together and you have these creators go, th- go through this process, what comes out of the other end? I mean, obviously mm-hmm. you have some creative NFTs that are generated. What's the thinking there? Is, like, is there a certain number of drops? Like, how are people going to participate? Like, what is the, the final output? I think we've, we've more or less just empowered the artists. You know, if someone wants to do a 1K drop, that's amazing. If they want to do a one-of-one, one, that's also great. Uh, we're pretty hands-off there, I think, right, Chris? It's, let's empower yeah. the artists to take it whatever direction they think is best. Yeah, we've tried not to put too many guardrails around like their, both their process but like what the end result is. Um, and so we're already seeing things that are um, innovations at the smart contract level to in the dynamic art itself, like we've talked about already. Um, and so it's, it's hard to say. Um, the other thing that we will, uh, I should call out is that um, a lot of what we hope at the end is that we're going to see 20 things, project, 1,000 things, 1K drops, whatever, one-on-ones. Um, and we're going to, you know, uh, we're going to really leverage our relationship here um, to do those things on proof and uh, to continue to bolster this art narrative that is, I love where you guys are going. I want to be a part of it. So uh, I, I think that this program is, it fits nicely. I mean, I think as soon as we talked about this, you guys are like, oh, let's, we should think about how we work together on this. So um, excited to see drops happening on proof, uh, maybe building complete th- things independent of, of all marketplaces. Um, so happy to dig into details with anybody if you're uh, around later. Well, we should bring up a couple of the artists on stage, yeah? Let's do it. Let's do it. Should we bring up uh, Terrell and Marlo? Terrell and Marlo. Come on up. Let's give a round of applause. Marlo rocking the Moonbird socks. I love it. Oh, Thank you. It's two days in a row. <laughs> Dif- different socks, I'm assuming, but I love it. Yeah, it's not different socks. <laughs> That's even That's more awesome. special. Awesome. Thank you. That's like that real raw Marlo. Thank you for that. I'm glad there's no smell of vision on this podcast yeah. yet. Yeah, it's, I love the gr- Grimplin hat too. The Grimplin hat is legit. It's a pleasure to have you on here as well. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. It's awesome. Yeah, so maybe we can jump in a little bit. Um, I think you know almost everyone would be familiar with with both of your works and and you guys as as artists. Terrell, maybe starting with you, when Chris and I came to you talking about sort of this opportunity to do something with Outliers, uh, just curious what dimension of that was maybe interesting to you, and and do you have some early ideas on on what you might explore? Um, yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, I'd already been working on something that was kind of looking for a home. Um, and then I'd already been friends with these guys. So, uh, you know, when you came to me, it was just like a, a perfect marriage where, um, you know, I kind of told them where and what I was like working with in my mind. And they were like, we've already been working on this. We were looking for an artist to like <laughs> yeah. do this thing. So it, it was like a perfect marriage, like I said. Um, but yeah, like with what I like to get out of art, um, I just have the joy of creating and the joy of storytelling. Mm. So, um, I'm really excited to kind of put people into that position to kind of help me tell the story. Yeah, I love that. Is that something you think consciously about, like, 
um, you know, beyond the illustration itself, how can you use the medium to, to have these additional layers of, of the storytelling? 100%. I think that, um, you know, if you're just having the art, you know, be the art and then, you know, just leaving it there, just going like, you know, whatever, you know, that that's awesome, but like, you can do that in just like Web 2. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't need to come to Web 3 to do that. So I think that with Web 3 and with all these different tools, especially with these guys, um, it's really cool to have these things where people can get a lot more involved and people can just do different things that you weren't necessarily able to do before. Yeah, that makes sense. And Chris, go ahead. I was just going to echo one of the things Terrell said. And, uh, one of the reasons we were excited is, I mean, this is the kind of thing that, we think that the opportunity is just endless. And that so in our contract stack, we, there's a feature. It's not, we're like, this is, we thought it was cool out of the gate. It's just called story. It's a story contract. But Marco is a genius and figured out a way to, for any collector or the creator, to actually record on-chain stories attached to a specific token. So, but imagine what that, what that unlocks for creators now or collectors is why I collected the piece, what it meant to me, or maybe where it's been exhibited or shown or displayed or how it's traded hands or what it meant to my family. And so Terrell has this, you know, kind of a cross between co-creation and storytelling. We're like, this. yes, let's go. And if you pay attention, there might be something in the venue right now that might lead you down a path to find out what's coming later. So, just look around. <laughs> Check your seats. <laughs> well, before we get to Marlo, because I uh, and I should also say, um, before I say what I'm about to say, my my wife's favorite piece uh, that I've ever that she owns uh, and that she's ever seen is Marlo's Grail Drop from Series One, and so it was really a pleasure for my wife to meet Marlo last night and um, get to share that moment. But what I was going to say is. Um, you know, it, it dawns on me, listening to Terrell speak, that a lot of, you know, the way that artists have engaged with this space has been very skeuomorphic to date. Um, I'm creating work, I'm putting it on the blockchain, or I'm using the blockchain to inform the work, um, and then a consumer consumes the work or purchases the work. And what's so elegant about what you guys have all built is, I, f I really do feel like things like the proof and transient collaboration and outliers program and the artists that you've chosen, I feel like they're pushing the space forward in a way that changes the dynamics of how creators engage with the work, the process, collectors, and that's pretty awesome. It's like it's very awesome to think about where we'll be a year from now, two years from now, three years from now as a result of all the experimentation happening that comes out of something like an outliers. But Marlo. I would love uh, I would love for you to answer a similar question, which is, um, how are you uh, working through the Outliers program, and what drew you to it, and how has it been so far working with Transient and Eli and the Proof team? Um, I really wanted to do something that was more blockchain centric, rather than just minting a visual piece on the blockchain. Really taking advantage of the technology a bit more. Um, but it's tough when you're not extremely technical. You're just an artist who doesn't know the, how to write contracts or any of this other stuff. So when you um, get an opportunity to work with Proof or Transient or, 
another group that provides you with a lot of resources and support, it's a huge deal for an artist. We're, we're very used to just being alone, working, working on our stuff and putting it out there as best we can, but having the support of like the most amazing groups in the industry is like really, really special. Yeah, I appreciate that, Marlo. And, um, you know, your work is, I don't want to speak for you, but from my perspective, your work is so well suited for some of this experimentation and exploration, very meditative. And so how can you combine um, sort of the, the visual output with other dimensions, whether it's time of day or different, I mean, you can imagine biometrics in different interesting ways. You know, like what are the different... Uh, dimensions that can inform what someone is seeing and ultimately experiencing in that moment. I know you've started to explore with some of that. Can you talk a little bit about some early ideas? Yeah, so my work is really meant to be interactive already. Um, I don't want people to just passively look at it, but really engage with it and see how it affects them and really intensely observe it. Um, but not everyone does that. So I want to find a way to make it even more interactive and really bring the viewer into the process of viewing and experiencing the work even more strongly. So I'm looking at interactive uh, works and I don't want to give too much away, but I really, really want to make something that hasn't been seen yet and is really like joyful and uplifting. Just like music yeah. to my ears well, or to our, to our ears. I mean, I, I just think that five years from now, art that is a part of our living existence and that uh, just as an example, um, well, DGB is, is fine. That's a good example, but he's has another one right here that, that, is a pool, but it looks at the time of day of the browser that you're on, mm -hmm. and then it immediately changes to sunset or sunrise. Or why do we have stupid clocks anymore? If I could have a gorgeous <laughs> work of art that is informing me of some uh, part of my day, mm -hmm. we Josh Pierce did a thing that we connected to a weather API, and you literally can get to the foot weather report, like the piece of art changes to what your weather is like right now. In fact, they wrote some ridiculous script that actually makes an assessment of the possibility of a rainbow. Mm. Can you imagine that? Like <laughs> a piece of art going like, hey, there's probably a rainbow outside. <laughs> so, but take this out five years from now, right? And so think about all of the ways that like, why should we, why are these beautiful things like only just for us to look at instead of being a part of an immersive piece of our life. And so I think we're going to see more and more of that. I love, I can't wait, I can't wait. So thank you. Um, but I hope we see more of that stuff. Out of curiosity, you know, a lot of the, the maximalists traditionally in this space have said, okay, if we're talking to APIs, we're talking to Web2. And if Web2 goes away, a server goes down, I mean, we even saw it when FTX went down. Half the NFTs Kevin's were bringing the heat. Bringing no, the heat. No, 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 I just want to know, like, how do we fix this, right? Because, like, ideally, you would want some of this stuff to like survive, right? Like, yep. if, if something breaks and the the floors are no longer available, like, how do we ensure that when we bake in something, a decade, two decades, you know, a couple hundred years from now, we know that the NFTs as static art will be around. 
But how about on the API oh, side? Oh, like, this is good. Graceful. This is the ultimate question. This is the ultimate yeah. question. The ultimate yeah, question. Ben, Marco, you guys want to get up here? <laughs> um, th we talk about this a lot because technically, we try to tell people we don't want to be reliant on any external data source that is, is not under our control. And so we have to do all these assessments about like, is weather.com going to be around? Well, so there's two things. One, I think that uh, it's hard for us to build today for 100 years from now. It, it just is. So uh, we're going to continue to, I, I think, figure out ways to uh, provide like failure proof. You just like uh, upgradable contracts, essentially. Uh, yeah, I think we're just going to have things that we can continue to improve upon. Now, we're working hard on that kind of stuff now. Um, but, but secondarily, um, some stuff doesn't need to be on chain. It doesn't, we don't, uh, when we look at this web two, web three, I, I, I'm, sometimes I struggle because I feel like there's this like philosophical or almost like uh, argumentative friction between the two. And there shouldn't be because we need them, right? We need that, <laughs> we need all of these people to start paying attention and playing and integrating and uh, uh, participating in this economy. But so to do that, maybe in the interim, what we need is more of these connections. However, what we should be thinking about are uh, programmatically building in solutions for things that go down. So if this, if this then that, for failures. Graceful fa failover, basically, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because at, at the end of the day, like, yes, we can be maximalists and we can have just something that is static, but if you really want to pull in the masses, the more interactive and cool it is, the more attention people are going to be like, wow, that's doing something really novel I haven't seen before in art. I want to go participate in this universe and like start collecting. And like, that's the more important thing right now is we just need more users coming in the front door. Let's figure out the back end shit later almost at some, at some extent. Well said. <laughs> better be said or better than I did. We'll figure it out. Yeah, maybe uh, I just want to sort of double click into going back to you, Marler, for a moment. You sent me an email with an initial idea, and you're like, this is probably way too crazy. There's no way we can do this. And then the transient guys right away were like, oh, no, this is definitely feasible. Like, we'll find a way to make this happen. And that's been my experience with you guys to date is such creative problem solvers and cannot wait to see the things that evolve and, and come out of Outliers together. Super excited. Thank you. Mao, should we uh, take a couple of questions? Could we do that from the audience? Hand over a mic. Let's go. Yeah, Real let's time. Look at you. Changed it up. It's not even on the schedule. I know. Throwing an audible here. <laughs> we, have so, we have so many great faces. Yeah. Right here? Yeah, go for it. Hi, guys. Matt Scout here. Um, for the artists that we have, uh, we have technology, we have innovation, creativity, your talent, but then we also have community. How are you approaching communities so you can have the, the collectors, the fan base, the, the people that will appreciate what you're creating, you're very sure about it, but how you expand that and, and, and build the relationship? It's a great question. Yeah, it's a very good question. For me, it's always been just an organic uh, experience. I've been an artist for a long time, and um, one of the most important things to find success as an artist is to really um, work on your network and value your network and not treat it like um, it's people to extract money from. So um, all of the people in my community I really care about and I like, and. It's just for me a matter of just connecting with people. I 
I enjoy connecting with and letting it do its thing organically. Um, so I do have a Discord and things like that, but um, I'll, I'll just be where the people are. <laughs> Is your Discord peaceful? I feel like it would be peaceful. <laughs> it's extremely peaceful, yeah. It's I need really to stop nice. by sometimes and just hang out for a bit. Be on meditation dis- Discord. I'll be. Can I get an invite? Yeah. I'd really like to ask uh, if you guys can do a, a project where, like, we hook into founders' Fitbits and, like, find out how stressed they are and, like, if they're sleeping enough. So. No. <laughs> I mean, you don't want to see that data. It's not pretty. You don't want to see that data. It's. Um, can I, so not to push back, but I'm going to uh, ask another question, so, or make a comment, which is I think that like, we ask too much of a creator. Like all of a sudden, an artist also has to be a community manager and a social media expert and an analytics person and a drop strategy expert. What? Where, how did this happen? So we internally talk, actually, Beeline, I talk all the time about the artist enterprise. So people are businesses, you're enterprises. It's like Terrell Inc., right? Marlowe Inc. And so if you think about all of the lines of business that have to run for, you to, for them to be successful, that to me is nuts. Like, so how can we build tooling? How can we serve like insight and analytics into their pockets so that like they don't have, that's not part of their job that they can do what their gift is, which is to create things. And so uh, I wrestle sometimes with the whole, like, I, I got to you know, manage a Discord and Twitter DMs. And like, just imagine what we could unlock if we freed them up from some of that stuff. So I think that's an opportunity for any of the builders in the room. Like, maybe we think about that for a minute. Yeah, Terrell, how has that been for you? Like, how do, how do you manage, you know, collectors and community, and how do you approach that? Yeah. Um, you had said that you have, like, the most peaceful Discord. It's like, <laughs> one, one and only. <laughs> no, mine's cool, too. But, uh, yeah, I, I just really, I think that um, kind of to echo what she was saying, um, community, I feel, is, like, it's so important. Um, you know, I wouldn't be where I am without the people that support me. So, you know, I'm always super appreciative of them. And even just with events and stuff like uh, NFT NYC or, you know, I was in NFT LA and South by and all that. Um, it's just really awesome to even just see these people in person where they're just like, oh, like they'll just stop you. You're walking by. They're like, hey, I own like six of your pieces. And they're like, we'll just like go deep dive into like certain parts they like or, you know, like, oh, I gifted my friend your piece and then like blah, blah, blah. Or like oh, my friend introduced me to you and all. Of that. So it's really cool to just be able to connect with these people and, um you know, I always try as much as I can. I mean, obviously, it gets overwhelming a lot of times. But, you know, when I get these DMs and stuff where people are just like, oh, yeah, your work is super inspiring. Or, you know, people are looking for advice and stuff. You know, I'll, I'll try to, you know, do what I can in, in that aspect as well. Um, but even just like with this project and all, uh, I think something that's going to be important for me or stuff that I'm kind of working through is just how can I kind of reward people that already own some of my pieces to kind of get, you know, really cool stuff that, like, no one else can have, you know, just from having those pieces. So, um, you know, I'm already, like, up here just, like, thinking through a bunch of different things. But, yeah. Very cool. Should we do maybe one or two more questions? 
Thanks very much. One, one, of, one of companies that I, in my portfolio, deals with traditional established artists who are curious about digital, don't quite know how to embrace it. And you know, a lot of discussion and a lot of time I'm spending with them is to tell them, yes, you're giving up physicality, right? You're giving the texture, you're giving physical experience. That's a big thing to give up. What do you gain, okay? I have my own list of answers, obviously, and, and I want to go beyond you know, transfer of ownership, tapping into new demographic, et cetera. That's, these are obvious things, but in terms of artistic practice, what does digital give you that physical never could? And I was wondering you know, what, what your thoughts are. Chris, you want to lead us off here? Uh, well, it, does, it, does it have to be an exchange? Did, like, if you look around, um, what, why isn't that physical? Or why is that thing, why is Xerox's piece behind you not physical? He's a natively digital artist. I think, I think right now the, the challenge is that it's all still new. And so people just see it as like, oh, it's not the same. He didn't use a paintbrush. Well, if you think about what a paintbrush is, uh, really? Uh, that's, I mean, how long have we been using paintbrushes? thousands of years, so uh, this is a modern tool. And so, um, so I, I like when artists consider uh, the digital artifact, uh, but also you know, create optionality for, for physical artifacts to come from that. Um, I was excited, it, last night we did this thing called Cosign, and uh, there were two gallerists here, one in San Diego, um, that said, we're cutting out the second floor and it's, we're just making it all digital, all digital art. We, we see that our collectors are asking, they're curious, and so we need to create space for that to happen. So <clears throat> I think um, it's gonna start with one or two screens in, in place in galleries and things like that, uh, but hopefully it becomes part of the standard. Um, and so when we work with, with folks, like we're, we're also like, I love the idea of starting with physical and then moving digital. Um, and then th you know, thinking about like, well, what value can you show? I know you said you don't want to hear about provenance and record and ownership and stuff, but like, this brings a new dynamic to, to that, uh, along with things like you know, protection from counterfeiting and uh, all the other fun stuff that blockchain offers. Plus, you get to put it on your watch. <laughs> Saw the grifter. <laughs> yeah. The, um what I'm seeing a lot of lately is, well, and I hope that th these lines just, it doesn't feel like such an awkward new thing, and it's just blurred. And then the artist can say, hey, I want to go physical for this piece. You do this, Marla. You have some physical pieces as well. Um, you were working on that really labor-intensive one. That uh, Did you ever launch that? That thing was insane, how many hours you were putting into that piece. And I feel like, um, you know, I was over at, at somebody's a collector's house uh, just a couple days ago, and there was these beautiful two, about the size of that table there, these two rotating cubes with screens all around them that were moving. And it was, um, it was one of Beeple's AI pieces, which he hasn't really done a lot of press around or showed off a lot. And I was like, wow, like this is a piece that is way better displayed as a physical structure that he created that is doing something unique and novel that's not just a screen on a wall. And so I, for me, I, I, you know, seeing Tyler Hobbs over at Pace a couple days ago with his painted QQLs, like, and how beautiful those were, 
I think we're just going to consider it another type of canvas. And it doesn't have to be one or the other. It's like really up to the artist to decide. But you guys would tell me better than what I'm saying here. But do you see it that way as well? Like, do you see yourself dipping into physical and in and out depending on what the actual piece demands? Yeah, I, I would say so. Um, or even just like, you know, you have examples like, I forget where it is in here, but like the one that like twists around and stuff and like, that's so cool and like that's not something that you can necessarily see with like a canvas and, and all that so um yeah it's really cool to like find different ways to implement certain things into these digital screens um, i'm sorry i should have said this before I, I think we transient believe like dynamic and interactive when we look back 10 or 20 years from now this is a mo this is like punks or we're gonna see we're gonna look back on these artifacts and go oh wow that was this was the early stuff in dynamic and interactive. Um, and so if that's the case, that can't, that's not possible in you know, traditionally crafted objects with hands and paintbrushes and stuff. So we're kind of making that bet. We think that dynamic and interactive and art that is a part of your surrounding and environment and life, it is going to be here. And I think that's hopefully, um, I have this dream that one day you walk into the Apple store and there's just a, a thing that maybe used to look like a speaker or a clock or a whatever, but it's art. And it, but it, it's art with a utility for your life. So a clock, a weather thing. Uh, I, I'm only using the ones we've already thought of. So if you guys have ideas, let's talk about it. Anybody else? I think we got time for maybe one more question. Yeah, sure. one more. Hello, I'm 612.eth. Uh, question for you real quick, this is, not require, this is not a requirement, but my curiosity, again, this is not a requirement to be an artist, but I'm just kind of curious, what are your backgrounds in education? Is it in computer science? Is it in art? Is there any education whatsoever? You're just like, wow, I'm just doing this. I'm just kind of curious, what is your background in education? And again, it's not required, obviously, but just like acting, right? People don't have to go to school to be an actor and they're popular actors. But I'm just kind of curious what the background was with your education in regards to art or computer science or whatever it is. I studied jazz. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't have any um, background in terms of like college or anything. Um, I wasn't able to go uh, for financial reasons at the time. Uh, I don't necessarily encourage that. I think that people hear that sometimes. They're like, okay, yeah, mom, Terrell didn't go to college. I don't have to go to college. No, that's, that's not what I'm saying. But, um, yeah, thankfully, uh, you know, I had people in my life, like my, my aunt, uh, she's a super talented portrait artist. So she's really, like, the first person that kind of inspired me to do art. So, like, a lot of what I learned early on was just from her. Um, but, yeah, the rest, I would say, is, like, pretty much self-taught. Um, and one cool thing that I think is, like, really cool for the people and like the children that are coming up now um, I think that there's a lot less barriers I feel like when I was coming up I didn't necessarily have people that I was looking up to that I could see an actual path uh, to get pretty much where I am now but I feel like kids now do actually have um, you know more attainable goals and more actual paths that people have actually walked so um, even just like I was talking to someone yesterday I'm like you can hand a five-year-old an iPad right now, and they're probably going to know how to use it. And, like, 
that wasn't happening when I was like, my first iPad I had, I was probably like an, an adult already. So like, you know, the, the kids now are gonna like be in a way better position. Um, so I started out, I went to art school straight away after high school, um, but I found it didn't really click for me. Um, it just made me feel more and more cynical about the art world, and um, I really wanted to just try it on my own and see if I could do it, self-taught, and um, yeah, so that was about... 16 or 17 years ago that I went to art school and uh, I, I knew I could always go back if I wanted to but um, I've been full-time creating ever since I quit and it's been difficult and very challenging to learn these things um, but yeah it's really it's been a great journey yeah I'll just add I love hearing these stories I just it I always reflect that this is such a democratic technology where if you have a point of view and you, you have the perseverance to put work out into the world over and over and over again in very unique ways, uh, we're now dealing with a technology that allows you to reach a global audience 24-7 in real time. Um, and your point of view can really cut through the noise um, to anyone anywhere around the world in, in a very short amount of time. And so uh, I just... I, just love these stories and I think we'll just continue to see more and more of them as time goes on. Yeah, it's been fun to, to work with you on curating grails and just seeing the artists that are represented all across the world in so many different unique places. And the thing I love about kind of, you know, obviously Eli's doing a lot of curation on our side and we talk about, you know, which pieces and which artists that we're excited about. But I think that is just too short-sighted, and I think we can do a lot better. So, you know, not only adding diversity to your team, but also going out and say, hey, we're not the best uh, deciders. We shouldn't be the only limiting factor here. Let's go in and deputize people like Emily to come in and say, okay, 100%. let the artists pick other great art that we know already have an amazing following. Let them do that, because they're even better positioned than we are to select the next artist. And then after that what we're working towards and building, and we, we haven't launched any of this stuff yet, but we want to have a platform where people can come in and the, the masses, the community can come in and say, this is what we consider to be great art. And they can champion and raise up the best art for us to pay attention to and to put on our radar so we can say, hey, we didn't know about this artist that is you know, out in the middle of nowhere that we just found can we start a dialogue with them? Can we invite them in to do a drop with us? Like, and I think there's, there's so much power there in that democratization that you spoke about. I also really love that galleries can no longer damage my paintings. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's the real answer to your question. Um, well, very cool. Another, uh, another great live 100 proof in the books. This was awesome. Thank you all so much. Yeah, we get a round of applause for the, the guests today. All right, that is it for this episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you would like to help us out, head on over to proof.xyz and click on the reviews button at the very top and leave us a five-star review. Thanks so much. Take care.